Welcome to Right Way Politics. We do politics the right way, the winning way, and we leave the left way behind. And for the second consecutive year, we didn't win as much as we probably should have. It was a close one. It was a nail-biter. You're not going to see this in the media. They're going to say, ooh, Democrats won Virginia, Democrats won Virginia, and they technically did. But it was a big, big fight over a very small margin. And uh, this Brian Kerwin, Virginia political consultant, looking at the Virginia elections this year and making a few points. I've been watching a little bit of the analysis and a little bit of the pundits and a little bit of the spin. A lot of people have made some good points, but there's only a few points that really made the difference. Virginia is now the legislature by a one-vote margin in the House and a one-vote margin in the Senate controlled by Democrats. Uh, The Democrats who ran on nothing but abortion this year are now going to implement legislation on everything else that they want to do that they didn't want to talk about. And Glenn Youngkin will be able to veto it, or if he's smart, amend it, Uh, send it back and make them vote on it twice. Make them vote on stuff they really don't want to vote on. Uh, That's a beautiful thing. Only one Democrat leaps off onto the Republican side. You can never see... uh, You could see some surprising things pass that you wouldn't think would pass a Democratic legislature. This year was all about the governor. It was, this election was Glenn Youngkin 2.0. You've got 100 seats in the House of Delegates. You've got 40 seats in the Senate. The Senate's a real easy one to analyze because the Republicans actually did well. Uh, They started off with 18 seats out of 40, and after the election... They have 19 seats, so they actually gained in the Senate. You won't hear many people applauding that, but the Republicans gained in the state Senate. They're now one vote away from parity with the lieutenant governor breaking tie votes. Analysis is pretty simple uh, in the in the Senate. This all came down to the Senate District 31, which Youngkin won barely and the Democrats won in 2023, and that was the difference between 19 and 20. I don't think anybody was predicting the Republicans would get over 20 seats. 2020 high in the Senate between Republicans and Democrats was the high watermark, and they almost got there. They got there close. Had to win in Northern Virginia. Had to had to had to win in some districts. Redistricting, and let's just just say it flat out. Redistricting controlled these elections. I'd say about 90% of these races were decided as soon as there was a Republican or Democrat nominee. But the one Senate District 31 that was in play, Loudoun County, Fauquier County, was one the Republicans hoped to win. Youngkin won it by six-tenths of a percent. Yes, uh, Youngkin got exactly 50% of the vote in Senate District 31, and uh, when the votes were counted... In that race this year, uh, the Republican only got 47%. Watch that margin. Uh, Running three points behind Youngkin, you'll see that over and over and over and over again in these districts. So that was that district that Youngkin won with 50% of the vote by six-tenths of a percent was the difference between a tie in the Senate and a Democratic majority. And when we go to the House, you're going to see a similar story. Most districts running roughly three points behind what Youngkin did in 2021. 
The Republicans lost a number of seats. They needed to win six of the 10 closed districts after redistricting. Um, didn't quite make it there. And, uh, you know, House District 21, Youngkin won 51% of the vote. The Republican got 48, three points behind. Uh, House District 65, Youngkin got 51%. The Republican in that district ran four points behind Youngkin. And Karen Greenhall, where Youngkin got 50.6% of the vote, she got 48%, basically a point and a half behind Youngkin. All of these districts, similar margins. If, Repub if, if Glenn Youngkin got 52% or higher, the Republican won. If Youngkin lost the district, Republicans lost the district again. So that was pretty clear. And then everything in between was close. And I wish the analysis could be more complicated than that, but this was Yunkin 2.0. Yunkin was by far the most advertised politician in all of these races. He spent a lot of money on statewide ads and direct mail. If you had more than a three or four point margin from Yunkin in 2021, and you were a Republican running in 2023, you won House and Senate. Um, there was really, at the nuts and bolts of it, there was nothing Republicans or Democrats could do to change that dynamic. Youngkin had his big initiative, the secure the vote thing, in a difficult year. I mean, if, if, think of, if you think the goal of secure the vote, of getting Republicans who don't frequently vote to vote by mail, get on the permanent absentee ballot list and get a ballot every time there's an election, the worst time to try that is during a year where turnout is the lowest, because you already have an uphill climb of getting people who don't vote by mail to sign up to vote by mail. It's even harder to get to do that during an election that they don't usually vote. The time to really get people who are, say they only vote for president and they don't vote in any other elections, the best way to get them to sign up is to get them to sign up during the year that they're actually going to vote, which is 2024. So if you really want secure the vote to really make headway, keep it going. Really have it going for 2024 because the voters you're targeting want to vote for president. They will vote for president. They will vote in the uh, presidential election. They're interested in the issues that you don't have to convince them to turn out. You just have to convince them to fill out a form. Doing it this year in 2023, you, you doubled your handicap. Not only are you trying to get people who never voted by mail before to vote by mail, but you're getting people who don't vote in legislative races to turn out in legislative races. And I know everybody had the big push and everybody tried to, to, to solve the voting by mail deficit with the Democrats. This is just not the year to expect it to make big headway. This is the kind of thing that over a number of years, because the Democrats didn't do it in one year, the Republicans over a number of years, and the Democrats really made their headway in absentee ballots in 2020 during a presidential election when turnout is high, when interest is high and everybody's voting, and then they get a ballot in all of the off years for the rest of their lives. We should probably take advantage of 2024 and use that to bulk up our vote-by-mail uh, sign-ups because you don't have to convince them to be interested in 2024's election. That's the one they always vote in. It's the ones in between that we have to get them interested in, and the secure the vote absentee ballot by mail is a way to do that. The big story about this 
election is abortion. And you want to know why we ran a few points behind Yunkin in virtually every district? That was the headwind we were facing. There's a, I, <laughs> I've been saying this for 20 years, Brian's role in politics is not necessarily what your stand is on the issue. It's what the issue is that's the topic of conversation. My rule, control the topic of conversation. Make the election a referendum on the issue that benefits you and doesn't benefit your opponent. And Republicans walked right into that this year with a 15-week proposal that everybody from the top of the ballot to the bottom of the ballot signed on. Everybody was singing from the same song sheet. The media covered it. Everybody talked about it. The problem was, of all the issues we could have run on, that was the issue that really didn't help us the most. That was the issue that really turned off independence. That was the issue that really motivated Democrats. And we made it our key platform issue. 15 weeks, millions was spent on promoting it. Much money was spent defending it when we were attacked for it. And the Democrats lied about it. We spent more money clarifying it. I was pulling my hair out during most of these campaigns. Everybody thinking they have to address, every Republican candidate thinking they have to address the abortion issue. And Glenn Youngkin doing TV ads, talking about the abortion issue. We can't say the election is not about abortion when it's the issue we spent the most money on. Problem was, it took all the oxygen out of the room. If we took all the money we spent talking about abortion and put it on any other single issue, Joe Biden, Israel, taxes, crime, pick one. If we made a single policy proposal, made everybody sign on to it, and it showed that it benefited us, was supported by independents, and drove the Democrats nuts, and we spent the amount of money on it that we spent on abortion, we'd be swimming in victories. Because in a lot of these cases, 2 or 3% of the vote makes all the difference in the world. These are small districts. You know, 1,000 votes here, 1,000 votes there makes the difference in 10 races. Problem with making abortion your key issue is it's probably the one issue that independents aren't lockstep with us on and that Democrats are highly motivated to oppose us on. I don't think it changed many votes. I don't think it motivated any national Republicans. I just think of all the issues we could have chose to make our signature issue, we had no car tax. We had parole in 1993. Um, we had Bob's for Jobs in 2009 on the heel of the economic uh, recession, depression. Youngkin fell into his key issue about parents and schools. Didn't really have a key contrast with McCullough that really broke through until that debate. And then we really had a clarifying issue. We really didn't have room for a second issue once we put all the emphasis and all the money on that first one. And that probably cost us a seat or two. And we we're talking very few seats difference with very few differences in those races. A little change makes a big difference because we're really fighting over slim margins here. Looking back, um, how could we get more federal voters voting in, um, how could we get more federal voters voting in state races? Well, the Democrats did it by talking about Donald Trump. We could do it by talking about federal issues. And of course, Joe Biden, probably the most unpopular Democratic president in my lifetime, um, with the possible exception of Jimmy Carter. But I think if you want to sign up federal voters to vote in state races, you have to campaign to them on issues they care about. 
things they see on Fox News, things they see on Newsmax, issues they care about are, that are national issues that you don't have to educate the voters about because they're already there. But if you send a mail piece to somebody who only votes during presidential years and you're talking about some state bill in the House of Delegates or the state Senate, I think you're going to put the voters to sleep. Um, if voters only vote in federal elections, there's got to be a reason. They care about federal issues. They don't pay attention to state issues. You can't make them care about state issues. You got to campaign them on what they care about. You can't make them care about things they don't. It's a lot harder to do that. It costs a lot more money to educate a voter than it takes to reflect what the voter already thinks. But if we want to get those folks motivated to vote in the off years, we've got to talk to them about issues that may not necessarily be state issues, but are things that motivate them. What did they see? What were federal voters that we were trying to get to vote in Virginia? What did they see? They saw the drama of national Republicans kicking out their own Speaker of the House, fighting over federal spending, not being able to reelect a Speaker. All that drama happening during our elections and is on the national media every day, every night. It's what they're following. They're following who the, who should be speaker, who's voting for speaker, which Congress members are voting for a con for a, this speaker versus that speaker. And that's what they care about. Meanwhile, we're talking about Democrats and state issues and things they want to do at the state level. And I think we put the voters to sleep that we wanted to suddenly turn out for the first time in their lives during an off-off year election. So the, my bottom line is, I think abortion was the wrong issue for Republicans to make this campaign about. I don't think it was as lethal as people want to make it out to be, but if you're going to pick one issue for Republicans to run on to be a uh, statewide rallying cry, I don't think this is the one to do. And it certainly was the one the Democrats wanted to. They wanted to make the whole campaign about abortion. They certainly did. And we obliged. And don't think that helped. So in a bit, the secure the vote thing was a little bit backwards. They tried to do the biggest job during the toughest year. They can't quit now. That's my point. Secure the vote has got to continue for the next 12 months. And it will be a sea change in elections for the following four years. So a lot of Republicans are disappointed in losing the House. Redistricting was the biggest driver of this. I've seen a, a hat tip to Sean Kenny of the Republican Standard. He really nailed a lot of his analysis. Very, very well done from somebody who's a pro and he knows how, how these things should be analyzed. This was a redistricting election. Um, people now have a good bunch of data on this. This was a Yunkin referendum, and every Republican ran, even in the safe Republican district, ran a few points lower than Yunkin did in 2021. That could have been the abortion headwind. That could have been a lack of cohesive message outside of abortion. Republicans showed that they can gather around one big issue and make it the centerpiece of their election. I just don't think they picked the right one. In retrospect, we probably shouldn't have even talked about 15 weeks. We shouldn't have even put a proposal on the table. And we should have gone after Biden and the Democrats on their own performance without trying to win the abortion issue right now. Now we're the loyal opposition and Youngkin gets to decide whether or not he wants to be the 50, the 52nd vote in the House of Delegates for the Democrats and the 22nd vote 
for the Democrats in the Senate, or does he want to be the veto man and make national headlines being the red brick wall to stop the Democrats from imposing some of the crazy stuff that they did the last time they were in control and even gone a little further. A lot of the tone in the early days is bipartisanship and working together. You know, and I know that's not going to last long. But Young has got a real chance in the second half of his term to really put his stamp on Virginia and stop the Democrats from being their true selves, flush them out, amend their bills, veto their bills, set the table for the next round of General Assembly elections. We have hope. I think if we can get secure the vote right in 2024 and really take advantage of the election motivation, I think we will set ourselves up for a very, very good 2025 and beyond, uh, and including all the special elections that happened in there. That's the one thing that people don't realize is these, these permanent absentee votes really give an advantage to the Democrats in special elections, which really, really low turnout gives them a really big advantage that's pretty hard to overcome. We've got to get parity there. We've got to get fairness. We've got to get equity in mail-in ballots. And I think 2024 is the easiest year to make the gains that we wanted to make this year. And that's my analysis of Virginia's elections, 2023. This is Virginia's political consultant, Brian Kerwin, for Right Way Politics. We hope you find your way back to Right Way Politics.